Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Just like if you were stranded on an island, you would write, help! Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, it was comparing myself to others, not feeling like I'm enough, and being afraid to express my needs. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed anytime. The service is available for clients worldwide and you can start communicating in just under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp is not the right solution for you if you have thoughts of hurting yourself or others. There are other numbers that I list in the show notes that you can go to for those services. With BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and Financial aid is available. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Quote, after counseling with Jennifer Dressler for three weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, and trauma, I really appreciate Jennifer's empathy and kindness. I feel heard and supported, and she has offered some really helpful practices. End quote. Another BetterHelp user, quote, after counseling with Michelle Solo for two weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, addictions, and self-esteem, Michelle and I have just begun communicating and already I have boundless hope for my future. She's very tool-oriented and doesn't just listen. I've never before had a therapist who is so actively involved in taking steps to help you get better. I would highly recommend her, especially for those who have lost faith in therapy. I did. She's going to surprise you. So please visit betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for my Before You Kill Yourself listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Stephen Joseph, who is the author of Snoodles, Cadoodles, and Poodles, or not even and poodles, just Snoodles, Cadoodles, Poodles, and lots and lots of... And lots and lots of noodles. Lots and lots of noodles. Uh, so it clearly, uh, I'm assuming... There's some Italian blood running through your veins. I mean, for lots and lots of noodles. Is that what's happening there, Mr. Joseph? No, 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 no. There's no, I'm my mom. I'm actually first generation American. My mother's born in Czechoslovakia. My father is from Romania. And uh, yes, they'll have noodles there too. So uh, uh, it's nothing, nothing Italian about it, but uh, hey, there's, noodles in china noodles in italy and i love noodles so um yeah no it's it's fine you want to put noodles on me i'll take it as first generation did you feel pressure to succeed because you're off you're also an attorney professional negotiator marathon runner humorist you know you have a daughter you're the son of a holocaust survivor like was there any pressure to thrive and be the best or did you feel like you naturally had this innate ability to overcome obstacles move forward and burst through challenges uh i would say yes there's always a uh, pressure to uh succeed uh and it, it was my, my father worked in the south bronx uh he didn't go past eighth grade education. Uh, my mother didn't either because of the Holocaust, so they were not educated. And uh, 
my father would wake up four o'clock in the morning, go to the meatpacking plant in, the, in down by Hunts Point in the South Bronx, and uh, get to work from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. and and uh, he put. My brother went to University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League school, and, and I went to college and law school, SUNY Albany in Pitwa. Uh, so, yeah, there was definitely the pressure to succeed where it's like, I don't want you doing what I'm doing. Uh, that was that was very much there. Yes, absolutely. Did that amount of work take a toll on the relationship between your parents? Like, was there no. tension in the house, or was there love? Was there support? Like, what was the what was the vibe like? Uh, there was. Uh, uh, they actually after my both my parents passed away, and uh, my mother was very non-expressive, and and uh, one of the amazing things that. Uh, I found after uh, cleaning up the stuff uh, after my father passed away was a love letter my mother wrote to my father uh, saying how he, he was so meaningful, so impactful on his, her life, how much she loves him. Uh, just so like nothing like I could even imagine. Uh, so while it might have not been shown between each other, my, it was always like funny. My mother would say, "Get off me, you big gorilla," you know, sort of thing. But uh, but there's always they had their roles. And the interesting thing about uh, how my parents got together is that uh, my father was living in Israel and he was working for Zim Shipping Company, and he was in New York, and he had a blind date with my mother, and he took my mother out to the Horn Hearted Coffee Shop near the United Nations and you could go and you put a nickel in the glass window and you pull out a cup of coffee and she bought my mother a cup of coffee. And for a nickel, he proposed to my mother to marry him. And my mother said, yes. And years later, I would ask my mother, how could you say yes? And he didn't know this guy. And my mother said, ah, he looked like a hard worker. So, so, and they were married for uh, over 50 years. 60 years, I think, uh, pretty much spent their whole life together from like early 30s into their 90s. Looked like a hard worker. They really had distilled it to one thing back in the day because they didn't have much time. Life was short, you know, especially if you have seen the war and the brutality and you, you know, I think here, in America, there's kind of this delusion that we're going to, we can live forever and that everything is, um, you know, nothing is finite. Everything is infinite. And, uh, and I think that back in the day, you know, people got married at such a young age and now everybody has this long list of criteria for marriage and they have dating coaches. Even my girlfriend had a, a dating coach right before me. And, you know, and there are these Indian matchmaking shows on Netflix and, and your mom was just like, you look like a hard worker. That was enough. Yeah, you, that was it. Do you have a single mantra that kind of, that you filter life through? Like your mom, like filtered him through the, the sim simple concept of he looked like a hard worker. Do you, when, when you have, when you're facing indecision or, or major life obstacles, is there one thing that you're filtering all things through? Uh, yes, it, it actually, it's, it's through humor. And uh, my previous book, actually, is, it's not a kid's book. It's an adult book, A Grown-Up Guide to Effective Crankiness, the crank it source method, uh, where I talk about being effectively cranky. Uh, so it really is about not taking anything too seriously. Uh, and, and also making things more, when I talk about crank it, Soros, it's like your crankiness, I give it a name. Soros is the Yiddish word for Yiddish, for problems. Do you think you have Soros? If I had your Soros, I'd be doing cartwheels. No one could outdo my Soros. So, uh, so, uh, I use the word crank it, Soros, and I call it the common crank it, Soros, uh, because, you know, you have a common cold that might be once or twice a year, 
a common crank at source, you could have two or three kiss in the morning alone. So it's a way for me to, when, when something happens and like, oh man, this is annoying, uh, just taking it in stride. So, and I talked about my, my, uh, my parents and my father's like being the hard worker. Uh, the, the funny rule I have with my wife, I said, well, we're, we're allowed to, and this is actually in my next book, uh, Cranky Superpowers, Life Lessons Learned from the Common Crank at Source Chronicles, which is also, I write on my, my blog at stephenshowsofauthor.com. Uh, this is under the chapter, Crank at Source Menopause. And I, I say, we have a rule that you get to be 5% insane, 20% crazy, but 75% normal. And you might think that that's crazy. Who you're giving somebody five percent be insane, be insane, and you think 365 days a year somebody could be insane for like 18 days straight if they wanted to. But it's counterintuitive by by the same by giving you permission to be crazy or insane. Uh, if I, like let's to do it the other way, I give you zero percent. You're not allowed zero percent insanity. Uh, or zero percent crazy. When you become crazy, you have no option but to tell me I'm crazy, which would drive me crazy. Which also have a chapter drive me crazy, crankosaurus. But uh, but uh, then I become crazy, and they say you're even more crazy. So by giving you twenty percent crazy, you end up being maybe one percent crazy. Uh, instead, if I gave you zero percent, you would end up being fifty, sixty percent crazy. That makes so, sense because I think a, a lot mantra, of it's like, yeah, because I think a lot of our suffering is thinking that you know we are going through things alone, right? And that when you realize that, oh, we all have a little permission to be a little insane, or I have a little permission to be a little crazy, and then we also have permission to be normal. And if we feel like everybody has that, then we don't demonize or stigmatize our own insanity or craziness because now it just becomes that, a part right. of, yes. And, it, and, and, and I, and I, let me just interrupt. I, I, I talk about in my, in my book, uh, grown up guide to effective crankiness. I talk about a lot of times people say, say what you feel, say what you feel, don't act out. And so like, yeah, let's say you say, I, I feel angry. I feel angry. I feel angry. I feel angry. I feel cranky, whatever you, you're feeling. And somebody says, hey, you know, hey, Leo, you're very good at saying how you feel. But then all of a sudden I'm thinking, that Leo guy's a really angry person. By calling it, giving it a name, Crankitsaurus, and says it's a common Crankitsaurus. It's not, it's, you're just this sweet, fun-loving guy who happens to be a little cranky, has a Crankitsaurus in him. And it's very common. It's, it's not even... It's not doesn't it doesn't stigmatize you. It doesn't put a label on you. You have something. You just share something that everybody has, uh, some more than others. But it's it's something that happens every single day. It reminds me of Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's just always a little bit cranky, and and it's and cranky is such a like a fun loving word and fun way to exp, you know express yourself versus. I'm upset or pissed or angry. It's like cranky is something that, you know, you feel free to share and you don't think it's letting people know, listen, I'm a little on edge, but I'm, it's not that serious. Like you don't have to be afraid of me. Right. Like I'm not enraged. Yes. I'm just a little cranky. That's right. And then I, I could even see it coming. I say, hey, uh, I have a crank at in me. And you give somebody like a warning that, Hey, something, is, is coming down the pike that that's the word thing and uh i just wrote uh this weekend i wrote uh don't get me started crankosaurus and and i thought that is probably one of the most some crankosauruses are more you know like uh, uh difficult than others and but they all have to be looked at so this is uh don't get me started, Crankitsaurus. And I tell the story about the non-starters where, you know, each, no one was, it was like Harry and Sally. When Harry met Sally, they were all, all very much together. But after a while, it's like they got farther apart. And when somebody wanted to say something to the other person, it's like, don't get me started. So uh, they went to see the, this therapist. 
another character in one of my chapters, the Barkers, uh, and they lost their voice because they always said you're barking up the wrong tree. So they had to go to a specialist who could teach people how to bark up the right tree, you know, basically listen to each other, have empathy. So, uh, so uh, don't get me started, Crankosaurus. You could have, uh, I'm, I am beside myself, Crankosaurus, where you're just talking to yourself, like I'm beside myself. Who's that person talking to? Oh, it's just me, I'm beside myself. Uh, and then you have uh, rant and rave Crankosaurus, where you really believe everything you're saying, and, and it's just like it makes you uh, crazy, and you're ranting and raving. Uh, then there's bitching and moaning Crankosaurus. Well, you're not as like confident in what you believe in, and you know there's another opinion, but you still want to bitch and moan. And then there's Hem and Haw Crankosaurus, which is still, all right, you're not, you don't like what's happening, and it's just hemming and hawing, kind of understand it. And then there's Mumble and Grumble Crankosaurus, so it all gets broken down. Uh, but it's just, there's so many uh, uh, Crankosaurus. Like uh, my, my favorite one is, uh, getting on my nerves, Crankosaurus, because we all get on each other's nerves. Like I could say, hey, you have a lot of nerve. And then, okay, you have a lot of nerves. Or, you know, you have some nerve by doing what you're doing. Or yeah, I could say, you know what, this, your problem, you have no nerve whatsoever. And that probably gets on your nerve if I told you you have no nerve. So everybody gets gets on each other once in a while. And it's just, it's just something we, we have to deal with and hopefully laugh about. Yeah, it reminds me of Sesame Street because Oscar the Grouch was definitely cranky and he was one of my yeah. favorite characters. And then you had Big Bird who knew how to bring everybody together and you had Bert and Ernie were, who were kind of cranky in their own way. They were kind of like the odd couple and you just had all these different characters. You had Count Dracula who was OCD cranky of like, you know, one, two, you know. So I think, you know, my takeaway from what I hear you saying is it's so valuable for us to name our, our different emotional states. Like, you know, there's so much push on, you know, am I lonely? Am I sad? Am I happy? Am I? But we can come up with our own names for the different aspects of our voices and create our own characters so that it has more meaning for us uh, versus always relying on books and, and what other people are putting out there. Did, let me ask you this, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, you know, being the son of a Holocaust survivor, did they share with you what got them through mentally? What got them through the Holocaust mentally? And was it different? Did they have to reframe things once they got out of the Holocaust? Uh, that is... Um Something, uh, unfortunately, and a lot of, I go back, by the time it really is very important for me to know the story and get the details, by that time they were in their 80s, and it wasn't, it was kind of like choppy. Uh, uh, growing up, uh, my mother never really wanted to share anything about it. And we would watch, let's say, some Holocaust-related show. Uh, my mother would say, why should I watch it? I lived through it. So it was kind of like uh, keep keeping it quiet uh, in my, my household, uh, not, not really talking about how they survived through that terrible period. Uh, but... Uh, they 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 managed. They managed. I mean, it was different stories for both my parents. My my father was not in, uh, put away, sent away to a camp, but he uh, escaped to Palestine back like in '44. Uh, so he had a different story. And my mother uh, actually was sent to uh, Budapest, where she was saved to like 1944. So they didn't get her till like that point it actually was like maybe early she went but she got sent to uh, Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in 44 so she wasn't there as long as some other people so uh, but she still uh, she described how she survived actually uh, when the camp was liberated by the British she would actually she would actually describe 
them going through the bones to see who was living. So literally like people like lying there emaciated and she was sent to a hospital. She was sent to Sweden for actually a couple of years and moved to the United States after that. Wow, very powerful story. It's it's interesting because, you know, in therapy, we talk so much about the importance of expressing and sharing so that it it doesn't eat you up inside. What do you feel like for your parents was their mean of expression? Because you said they lived to be in their 80s, correct? 90s. 90s, wow. So that's a long run. That's a long run. And so I would imagine you know, had they really been suppressing it, uh, it would have, it would have, they would have deteriorated much sooner, but to live to their nineties, looking back, how did you find, what do you think their means of expression was, uh, or, or releasing, you know, that experience for them? I think, uh, you know, having, having children, uh, and, uh, you, you talked about, like, in, even in the beginning of the show, uh, uh, wanting your children su- to succeed. And uh, in my book, one chapter I have is Crankosaurus Caterpillar. And uh, I describe, uh, like, this caterpillar family. And the, the, the parents were always, like, uh, always pushing their, their kids. Like, uh, they want their kids to become butterflies. And it was because they they knew themselves they could never be a butterfly. But it was all in their children. Their children will grow up and not just be caterpillars. They'll grow up and be butterflies. So I, I think that that's really that's really what uh, pushed them. And uh, he did what a lot of people did. They retired. Uh, when my father was working, my mother didn't work, but they, they moved to Florida and they thought Florida was paradise, uh, for them. Uh, they had the, the, the club with the pool and all that stuff. So, uh, they, they got to enjoy that for, for a, a lot of years. So I think that, that helped them as well. But, uh, I, I look back, you're asking questions like I'd never asked myself, uh, so it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, they, they basically, uh, it's, it was the same rhythm. You, you go through, through the same rhythm where like my father gets up early in the morning and goes to work and comes back home exhausted. My mother's doing the cooking uh, where she's cooking and cooking and wonderful cook. Uh, so she's doing that sort of thing. Uh, so they had their own rhythm within their own space. And uh, I think uh, that helped them survive plus their kids. That, that's what did it. That's powerful. You know, so much is talked about the importance of changing your location. You said your parents moved to Florida where they thought it was paradise. Paradise. And so many people move to Florida and there are parts of it where I actually love it. The, the heat, the humidity, the people, the music, the salsa, the bachata, like it's there's yeah. just so much flavor down there and, and, and the bright colors too is very colorful. That's the, you know, the, it's, it's weird because Florida has two parts where there's, it's kind of like this country, you know, people make fun of it, like being kind of it for lack of a better term, hickish. But on the flip side, it's very colorful and, and gregarious and welcoming and, and flavorful. Uh, you know, was that your experience of it? Well, yeah, I, I think there's lots of different. I've been around Florida and uh, I, I, I love, and I run the, I've run the Miami Marathon three times. So, uh, I, and I've run Fort Lauderdale too. But uh, uh, my one of my favorite marathons is the Miami Marathon. Uh, just you go through South Beach and the colors and the, the vibrancy and and um, some of the neighborhoods in in Miami. Uh, that that's so much fun. And 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 I do a lot of negotiating. And before the pandemic, we would tr- I would travel to to do it. Now it's like through Zoom. But 
But yeah, it's it's great for me going in the winter time and and having your glasses fog up because of the humidity uh, and it's snowing and 18 degrees in New York City. Yeah, that's that's fun. And then of course then there's the the gated community kind of like Florida where uh, my in-laws lived in Bradenton. My my parents lived in Boynton Beach and. The kind of they're opposite sides of the state, and it looks exactly the same. Sort of, so it doesn't have the character uh, you would you want. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I love you go down to South Beach, and that that's happy time. Talk to me about the difference between rhythm and routine. You talked about your parents finding their rhythm, and I, for a lot of us who struggle with mental health, we you really struggle when we're thrown off of our routine, but also when we're not connected with our circadian rhythm, right? The sleep cycles, when the seasons change, you know, sometimes we wake up later. Sometimes we're waking up earlier. If you have jet lag, all these things can mess up your rhythm. In in your mind, how would you distinction, how would you, uh, uh, what distinction would you draw between routine and rhythm? Well, r- rhythm is, uh, I think it, it's, it's, it's bigger than routine. Uh, routine is like what you do. Rhythm is how, what you do and how you do and how it affects you. Uh, so uh, I happen to be, I run marathons and, and I get up. Uh, like five between five and five thirty, and I'll go running every day two hours, and that's how I write. I I write in my head while I run for two hours, and then I come home and I just copied what what's in my head. Uh, that creates a whole rhythm for me. It's also a routine, but it it, it has a flow and, and there's a rhythm and. It's how I breathe and how I think and uh, the clarity that I, I feel, you know, going throughout the whole day and 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 it's so important to start my my day with that rhythm that when routine, what what happens in my day profession as a lawyer is uh, there is no routine it's it's basically you know there's only maybe three days out of the year i would say that i pick my work the rest of the day the work picks me the rest of the year work picks me and i have to be prepared to be thrown off my routine but but by having a sense of something in that day that is my rhythm uh I think that that helps me even when I don't have the routine that I necessarily want. Uh, so I think that that's important. I talk about, uh, I used to be heavy. I used to be around 240 pounds in December, 87. And uh, I went down to 155 pounds by June, 88. And I cut out fried foods and, and all sorts of bad. I started saying no matter how tired I was, I was going to go to the gym and I started out at level one life cycle for three minutes and it was exhausting. And two years later, I was running marathons. Uh, so I talk about, uh, like people talk about habits. I talk about uh, my normals, I, like, uh, you know, finding my normals. Uh, so, uh, and what you, and I like the word normals better than habits because it's what you do. It's how you go about things and trying, always trying to find healthy normals as opposed to a habit. Normals feels, has a permanency to it. It's, it's how, like I get up and run. It's just what, it's my normal. It's not a habit, it's, it's what I normally do. I have my cup of coffee in the morning. That's a normal. So uh, I think that's how I look at it is like what normals can you have? And even back then, I had to look at even old healthy normals I had and what bad normals I started. And even going back to that, when my daughter was a little kid, uh, 
I noticed I was gaining sort of some weight and I became the garbage can for my daughter. Oh, she's not eating those chicken nuggets. I didn't want to throw it out. It goes to my mouth. And I stopped doing that was a change of normal. So again, uh, always looking, always examining my normals. And, and that once you have those healthy normals, uh, it's not like a routine. It, it becomes a rhythm that, that it's just a flow. And then, and then it's easier easier for me to be thrown off my routine and deal with other things because I I already had established my rhythm. I love that, and I appreciate you expressing that and sharing that. As an attorney, you also have in your bio professional negotiator, right? And when I look up negotiation. Uh, one of the best ways that they talk about negotiating with someone is to draw out their whys, like why they really want to do something, why they're doing something, uh, so that you can kind of get in there and negotiate based on their why, so it feels like a a win-win, right? For someone who is thinking about ending their life, if someone says, I want to end my life, how do you get to their whys? If you even agree with that as a as a what means of negotiation, mm-hmm. that that's that's an interesting question, uh, and I I guess the uh, I think it's important to hear out the whys to know why why something is so painful that you want to stop the pain uh, that and in your life certainly is one way to stopping the pain. Uh, uh, and that's, that's a choice. That's a choice. That's one way of doing it. Uh, but the question, you know, you also have, well, will it create pain in others? Uh, and, and then the next question also is are there other ways to stop the pain and what could you it might be hard to imagine but there are people who have done it that they they picked other choices and not over not only overcome the pain but feel this tremendous joy by by over by being that close, and then not only overcoming it, but succeeding in ways that they could not have imagined. So, uh, and the, the the thing that I I find the greatest pleasure and, and amazement is that when I do like a lot of things I've done, I had it wasn't on on the to do list. I wasn't, it wasn't beyond my wildest dreams. I wasn't even planning to write a book and uh, it just happened. And then I wrote a second book and then I wrote a third book. And now I have two books with uh, one with the illustrator, one with the publisher. So I'm going to have four and five books. Uh, and finding those things just coming to me, uh, something that was not even on the radar and all of a sudden, having that and knowing that it's possible. So, so that, that's the, uh, that, that's the questions, uh, you know, first of all, having empathy and hearing that person knowing, yeah, that that's, that's a choice. And, and, uh, any negotiation I, I deal with, like, do we go to trial? Do we settle today? Do we settle six months from now, a year from now? What are, what are the options? And, um, I always say I never expect to make a deal because they make arguments why it's my best deal. Nobody cares about my best deal. We have to make arguments why it's their best deal. Uh, so, uh, so that is something, what is your best deal? And the difficulty, uh, but you know, certainly if, if somebody is given a path and someone and there's support to provide that path and, and to see what is, the unknown out there that you could find that unknown and you'll be amazed and isn't it worth 
trying that and knowing that I guess in, in that case, hopefully that person has the support going forward. It's not just like, oh, just don't do it. And, oh, change your mind. Okay, see ya. Bye. Have fun. Uh, you know, it, it has to be a little bit more than that, that, that you know, uh, there's people who do care and uh, why that, that choice might not be the best choice. Powerful share, you know, just to kind of rehash what you were saying is, one, if somebody is expressing the idea that they want to end their lives is to, you know, explore their options. Are there other ways to stop the pain besides ending your life? And, and then two, have other people done it? You know, what, what's, what's out there? Who's out there? What stories can you gravitate towards of people who are, who ex- are experiencing your same pay, your pain or your same symptoms or your same circumstances or just similar that doesn't have to be the same, but close to it. And how have they worked their way through it? And then you also talked about exploring the unknown. Cause a lot of times when we're in pain, we kind of get this black and white thinking there's all or nothing mm-hmm. a or B and we don't realize there's a C D E and, and that's the, and that's the value of bringing in an outsider, a negotiator, right? A therapist or a lawyer, or, you know, even some old lady on a bus, just talking to them and say, Hey, I'm thinking about ending my life and, and seeing what wisdoms they may impart on you. And, and you brought up something very powerful, uh, at the end there, Stephen, when you said, is it worth it? How did you, a lot of times people won't even write a book or, and myself included, or, or embark on projects because we get this vibe of like, it's not worth it. Like what a hundred people are going to read this. Two people are going to read this. The world's going to end anyway. I'm going to die. Like nobody cares. What made you feel like it was worth it as an attorney to then start writing books? Uh, well, at, at the time, uh, having something to write, uh, and, and, and also having something, uh, important to say, uh, I, like when I, I write, um, uh, I, I was married to a therapist for 20 years and then uh, now I'm with another therapist for the last 10 years, which is marriage. Uh, so, but like my, my first wife, she would have me, uh, read every, like, self-help book out there uh which every book seemed like the same thing it would be like the first chapter oh that's a really good idea and then i'm reading the second and third and fourth chapter uh and i feel like i'm reading the same thing over and over again it's just a different it's written by therapists and they're just giving their greatest hits and and i come from uh i'm an attorney so i i I almost like partly negotiation part therapy part comic because the book is very funny and the part storyteller and i feel like if you have like a good story that that uh that you could hook up on uh it makes you remember the the point of the story so i retell in my next book i do cinderella where she's not given a dress in the carriage she's given a, a a megaphone so she has her voice and she could be heard uh i redo uh and, uh, spinning your wheels, Crankosaurus. I retell the story of the Wizard of Oz, and it was so much fun to have the lion finally eat the wizard. So, so finally, because like everybody, he was the wizard was just spinning their wheels, and finally, out of frustration, uh, the the lion eats the wizard, and and they all live happily ever after. But, uh, but, uh, uh, and, uh, I do the three pigs, uh, Inky, Pinky, and Stinky. And, and uh, Stinky was in class, like, uh, uh, at in university, and he was, uh, he was watching the, this lesson, putting uh, lipstick on a pig, and he thought, it was just so, so uh, dumb. Who needs to put lipstick on a pig? And he started daydreaming, and he came up with the idea of uh, uh, using bricks uh, to build his home, and that ended up get, catching the big bad wolf, so... Uh, just so I, I tell stories in a way, uh, uh, but there, there's points to it that, that you know, 
again, makes makes you think about, about things in a different way. Uh, yeah, I didn't plan on it. Uh, it just it just happened, uh, and that makes it the most fun. Uh, and I could also tell you that my you say selling a hundred books, ten books, or and my wife, uh, I'm not quitting my day job as a lawyer. And my wife might say once in a while, you're not going to make money selling books. And I always say it's, well, I make me, uh, it's important to make me. And, um, and that, that is the most important thing for anybody is to make yourself. And even if you sell five books to your best friends, uh, you, you get to tell your story and there's a lot of power to that, or you tell something that's important for someone else to hear or something that's important for you to say. Uh, so you can imagine anybody writing poetry. Oh, who's going to buy, buy my book of poems? But there are people who love to write poems and they should always love to write poems and never should be about how many books you get to sell. So that, that, that's what I would say about that. Tears almost came to my eyes when you said, maybe I won't make money, but I make me. That is so powerful because I, I too have been told by people I won't make money off of my books or off, you know, this project or that, or what's the end game. And wow, that I felt that throughout my whole entire body. I make me. Woo. That sounds like the, the title of something. I don't know if that's a book or a blog Maybe. or something, but, but that, that's, that's a beautiful sentiment right there. And so to me, that seems like a perfect way to segue into part of your, I don't want to call it spiritual foundation or, or I don't know how you refer to it, but I know that you are a deep uh, practicer of Zen or reader of Zen and Zen philosophy. I, myself also, I love all those Zen in the art of tennis and Zen in the art of archery and, and all those different types of things. But with Zen specifically, you like to practice the art of acknowledgement. Can you talk to me about that and what that means for you and, and your mental health? Uh, yes. Uh, sitting uh uh, I would go to the village Zendo, and basically you could spend a whole day just sitting on the cushion, staring at a white wall, uh, and noticing it was at first is really, really hard uh, because you're having all these thoughts, including being bored out of your mind. Uh, and then after a while, noticing how it's okay just being there, being present, being in the moment. Uh, so, uh, uh, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things I, I can never appreciate or never, I don't like is, uh, uh, is uh, all these books, like you read a Zen books and somebody found some sort of way, like their path and, a path to enlightenment, that there's this thing about, oh, I want to be enlightened. And how can I achieve that? And, and uh, for me, I, I, I like turning things upside down, that uh, imagine that you could sit in front of a wall and saying, I do not want to, I'm not asking for enlightenment. I'm not asking for anything. I'm asking for nothing. And, and not grasping at anything, uh, you know, it's acknowledging that, uh, we talk about acknowledgement, but, but also the letting go of the grasping at things that I need to get to something. Uh, there's, there's this chant, all evil karma, ever committed by, uh, they talk about greed, anger, and ignorance. Uh, the, so, you know, thinking about where, what things come from, greed or anger, ignorance, and dropping all of that. 
but again, it's it's acknowledging where everything comes from. It comes from those three different places uh, where you get lost. Uh, and the, the, the thing about dropping dropping the the very reason you might be there. So there is no reason, and the the freedom you find from that. Um, uh, is is really powerful. That was that was powerful for me. That it was just uh, uh, just letting go. So, like and then I I think about that. I uh, uh, one chapter in my my effective crankiness book is called Dri- uh, "Drive Me Crazy Crankosaurus," and and uh, it's a story where people interact. They have the same interaction. It drives me crazy when. And the next uh, sentence said, and you fill in the blank, it drives me crazy when Leo does blah, blah, blah. And then the next sentence, I cannot understand how, and then again, you fill in the blank. So, so all these people have to, even though there's different parts of each transaction, like somebody is in a restaurant, they're not getting served. And the, the person being served is frustrated. I can't understand how the waiter is being frustrated because the owner is directing the waiter to go wherever. And the owner is, fr- is, is doing the same thing. I can, uh, it drives me crazy when blaming it on the waiter. So everybody is in this crazy state. Uh, and, and again, you're talking about acknowledgement, acknowledging that that happens. And that's just writing that kind of taught me something that, uh, that maybe I shouldn't be so crazy. Maybe, maybe like I uh, just kind of laugh at a bit, laugh at a bit, and notice that that is happening, uh, and that, that happens a lot. That there's going to be things that you I cannot understand how Leo goes blah blah blah. What? It's just it, it's it's going to happen, and why when you acknowledge that that's going to happen. It allows me not to go drive me crazy land. I don't have to go drive me crazy. I could just go, yes, I'm not happy about it. Yes, in the past, that could have driven me crazy because, yes, I cannot understand how. And let it go. And just let it go. It makes it easier. It makes it so much easier. Uh, and uh, it makes so much easier to accept things and laugh at things and have fun with it. It sounds like what you're saying is acknowledgement is kind of an observational thing where I'm acknowledging what's happening in the patterns of what happens in our past in terms of people cut us off. Sometimes Uh, I get upset. Sometimes the waiter is going to be late. Like this is just a part of living in life. Sometimes people are early. Sometimes people are late, et cetera, et cetera. And then also acknowledging our inner experiences of what's happening, right? Uh, whether I feel like my stomach is a little tight or my cortisol levels rising, my heart racing, acknowledging the, the inner experience and then also what we're seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, seeing. And then that allows us to let go, accept, and move forward. But when we get into that why, why, why state, then we're not taking the time to acknowledge what is because we're too busy trying to dig for why it's happening versus accepting and acknowledging what is happening. Yeah, you're not going to, the why might not make you happy. Uh, It's not necessarily, uh, why is, uh, it's like, you know, work sometimes I say there's no good reasons. Uh, there's only bad excuses. So, so why might not be so satisfactory? It's just things happen. It's just life, life as it is. Life is not so neat. Um, there's, you know, everybody has good days and bad days. And, and, uh, and again, everything, you know, when you put everything in this common, the context of being, Okay, we all go through this. We all have to deal with it. We all have to learn from it. We we try to learn from it. 
and 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 then we we get better we get better because of it talk to me about you have a daughter vita how and how yes. old is she now she's 27 27 were there 27 you know there are so many influences out there in the world was there a message that you wanted to drive home to your daughter as you were raising her and i asked this because you know like with your mom she was just like he works hard you know he looks like a hard worker and and for my mom it was about learning and earning those were the two things that she drove into my brain was there a a, a focus in terms of raising her that you wanted to to drill in or a theme that you were operating under I think the probably the most important thing, uh, if anything, uh, well, two things. First of all, because my father worked hard to make sure I would go to college no matter what, and he would take out whatever loan, go to whatever debt he had to do. Uh, he wanted his two kids to be educated, so that was that was kind of a legacy thing for me. Uh, but, uh, the other, the other thing is that it's almost the exact opposite where I went to college. I wanted to go into theater and my father was, uh, against that. He said, I'm, you're not going to make money going to theater. I ended up becoming a political science, uh, economics double major and then going to law school. I guess you could be theatrical there as a lawyer. Uh, but uh, I wanted her to find her own path. Uh, so she went to Bard College as a dance major. She's doing acting now. Uh, she's actually uh, very excited. She's going to be uh, in this, maybe a small part in filming tomorrow, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So she's very excited about that. Uh, so... That's probably the one thing uh, that I I had with her to to uh, follow wherever her dreams take her, and that, uh, I think he's doing it. I I love that because was there a part of you as a child that maybe wanted to go into acting and entertainment, and you felt like you had to go the more traditional academic route because of the the work your parents were putting in? Or did you feel like you got to pursue and express what you wanted from day one? Uh, I, I think I, I went to, uh, uh, into where I went because of my parents. Uh, if I, if uh, I had it on my own, I just would have pursued what I wanted to. And it wasn't exactly, uh, like I'm happy where I ended up now, and and I love uh, I love creating. Uh, uh, just again, when you create uh, again, a kids book is the most fun, and collaborating with a brilliant illustrator, uh, nothing nothing has been better than that. Uh, and then even having a follow up story that's even better than the first story. Uh, that that's so that's exciting. Uh, so. Uh, and it just creates more like not knowing, not like uh, the more I, I create, like, you know, what I did is more like, I don't know what I will be doing tomorrow, uh, but it's, it's okay, whatever it is. And, and I get to, I surprise myself. Surprise yourself. That, and, and that's part of like the digging into the unknown. You talked about, being married for 20 years and then divorcing, what was the biggest challenge during that divorce? Uh, the biggest challenge is just a couple of things. First of all, uh, it was like almost like an act. We weren't planning. It was just it was a, it was a long story to get into the details. That, but it was just, it was, uh, uh, wasn't like like I woke up that morning and we're going to get separated and just just something happened that day and one thing led to another. Uh, the most difficult thing was 
well, two things. It was the timing of it. My daughter was going into a third year high school. So uh, it was during those kind of rebellious years uh, for a teenager. And it just made her more rebellious. Uh, so that was hard. And uh, the it was because just the whole divorce itself was like, like what, why, how do we end up here? You know, not even knowing how you ended up there. Uh, so uh, even after we got separated and divorced, I was very close with my first wife. Uh, she actually had uh, ALS and she passed away this April, but uh, I would go shopping for her. I would cook for her. I'd bring her food. We would have dinner together on many nights, you know, it was getting more difficult for her. So, uh, so, you know, we still, the, the thing about it is we still love each other. We never stopped loving each other, even though we separated and got divorced. And even that her funeral, I gave a speech and, and uh, the, the rabbi was saying, she has never heard an ex-husband ex or ex-spouse talk about uh, their ex-wife or husband like that and you know but she uh she, she was uh you know she was uh somebody who taught me a lot so and and then you're married now for it's been 10 years correct well we were together and then we got married at like halfway there you know, so we've been together for 10 years. So we're going on our 10th anniversary just being together. Wow. Congratulations. And what was your uh, draw to her? What about her appeal to you or attracted you to her? Uh, so, uh, she, she, she was, well, the, there's, there's always something, I, I think <laughs> she's very cute, but uh, but there's, there's always the, the funny thing is that I find every day there's something different that attracts me to her, which is, which is, so I, I can't tell you, uh, with, you know, it's been 10 years. So that, that's a lot of different things, uh, that, uh, that, uh, I, I could bring out, but she gives me space for being funny and she happens to be very funny herself. And, and, uh, and she, she, she also, you know, has accomplished a lot, even though she had difficult circumstances. Uh, so there's that, that thing to admire in the person, but, uh, but yeah, she, it's, it's allowing humor to thrive every day. I think that's probably the most important thing. Is there a book that you have reread or have gifted? To other people, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I mean, besides your own books, obviously. Um, there's no, no, no. There's nothing I could think of offhand. Uh, I, I know that there's uh, you know, there's books out there. <laughs> That's a difficult to answer question to answer right now. I don't have a good answer for that one. I have never gifted the book. I have gifted my own books. Yes, I've done that. Uh, but I can't think of uh, something uh, that I could think of offhand that this books I, I really loved, but whether it's, it's good fiction book or, uh, or just a, a meaningful kind of self-help type book uh yes I, I could think of a couple but but nothing that that's that just sticks out right now that's like oh god you have to read that but uh yeah i i have to pass on that one sorry i don't have all a good, good. all good question. so your books noodles cadoodles poodles and lots and lots of noodles who is this book written for, and and what are you hoping that the readers will get from this? Well, this is a book that's written for anybody from like probably age four to age like eighty five. Uh, it's a kids' book. Uh, it's a story about uh, again, I deal with crankiness, so people 
uh, it's kind of like an environmentally friendly type book. Uh, so uh, because people are very cranky, they're all driving in Krautmobiles, which ran on sauerkraut. And Herbie Snoodleman came by and invented the Snoodle Mobile, affectionately called a Snoodle, which ran on noodles. And you could just go to the Ramanoleum, fill up your Snoodle with noodles, and off you go. And not only that, you could just come home and you're hungry for dinner. You press the eject button and out comes a delicious fresh bowl of noodles for dinner. Uh, without any sauce you want. You can even put the sauce in the, in the snoodle and you could have like whatever kind of noodles you want. Uh, so it became very, ha everybody became very happy. Uh, but uh, but even there's a happy ending for Sour Crudelman. You talk about like, you know, having no hope that the hopeless person, but even he turns out being, being happy in the end. Uh, uh, like, it was terrible. You know, you have this whole business that goes down the toilet, you know, with no one wanted the crap mobile. And, uh, you know, so, uh, and then actually in my next book, he's, he's kind of like the hero, uh, because, um, uh, a couple relatives get abducted by the zoodles in, in outer space. And they even put vacuum doodles around the planet to suck up all the noodles through the planet. But uh, Sauer Krudelman, he invents the, this is my next book, it's not out yet, but he invents the prickly peppered purple propulsion power pickle. And you put that in a snoodle and you could go, you know, faster than the speed of light, you go into different galaxies. And, and um, both he and, and Herbie saved the planet together with their, their niece and nephew, uh, they're like, bunch of other characters in the book so uh yeah it's 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 a lot of fun the, the illustrations are crazy and uh and even uh there's things to pick up for the adults uh so there's a lot of newspaper clippings in in that the snoodle book one of my favorites is like uh uh with, with snoodle mania where the, the snoodle is bigger than the beetles and you have uh herbie snoodleman with four snoodles walking across Abbey Road, like like the Beatles. So, I mean, it's just so much fun stuff, just in the illustrations. And there's different kinds of, uh, uh, different kinds of uh, automotive vehicles made up of the bubblegum mobile, the bean mobile, you know, like other people tried other things and nothing really worked until the snoodle. So it's, it's just so much fun. Uh, with different different illustrations and, and uh, I just happen to have a, a brilliant illustrator, this guy Andy Case from Nottingham, England, uh, who I plan to visit in, in Nottingham and he's going to take me to the oldest pub in the world, uh, which is right by the Nottingham Castle. And he all he, told me about farting next to every medieval building in town. So just see the character. So look forward to that. Stephen Joseph, last question I like to ask of all my guests who are on the podcast. I was always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Stephen Joseph? I would I would say life is like so it, it has so many different valleys uh, and surprises and um, and I could tell you that that I, well I've never been in that place that they have been uh, I, like I've I've had many low moments uh, where it's like how am I going to get out of this pickle sort of thing? How am I going to get out of this? Or uh, I even remember, you know, I remember crying, like, I'll never, it's never going to be better. I ha I've had those moments. Like, uh, remember when, uh, as a young lawyer, I got fired and, and I, the, like, I had resumes out and I had interviews and I got rejected by, 
the one firm I was hoping for. So now I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. There's like I don't. There's nothing I'm waiting on. There's nothing. There's no interview for me out there. There's nothing. And what's going to be tomorrow? I had no idea. Uh, uh, and I, I, and I didn't have any good answers. But uh, I found a way. And there was tomorrow, and there was the next day, and there was the next day after that. And uh, I got to be pretty successful. But there was that day. There was that day. It's like, I have nothing. I, I mean, and I have nothing, and I don't I have nothing, and I don't see anything. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I really tried hard, and I have nothing. And I tell you I don't have nothing now uh, and like how much that came out of that nothing so I, I, I kind of been in there in that way uh, so think think about you know this is it really it, it, it's really looking you know you're looking too much at the, what happened at the past and trying to predict the future uh, but Future is, is really like could be a lot of fun things. Uh, that's all I could say. Thank you so much, Stephen Joseph. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for going to get help for calling the new 988 number or any international numbers, whether you're in Serbia, the Ukraine, or Italy, or wherever you are in the world. You can call, chat, text. Uh, you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo, get your 10% off your first month. They'll link you up with a therapist in the next 48 hours. How cool is that? And they're international. Uh, so go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for having me, Leo.